0: Hey everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting and Politics, the podcast where we talk about all the ways our healthcare, parenthood, current events and politics, how they all connect. For a lot of parents and I'd guess probably, you know, maybe mostly for mothers, these topics may not be all that relevant in our lives before we become pregnant for the first time or become parents for the first time. Um, You know, if you're like me and even my daughters, you know, maybe feminism wasn't exactly a burning issue until you realized just how hard it is to be pregnant and autonomous and independent and work or parent or go on maternity leave and expect to come back to the job you left, or you realize you can't afford a maternity leave because your employer doesn't offer it. And so, you know, you start to... It becomes real relevant at that point in your life. And you start to unravel all the obstacles that women have to face just to raise the next generation of children on this planet and make a living. And yeah, it's hard for all parents, fathers and mothers, but you know what? I think it's harder for mothers because we're women and women have a lot of obstacles stacked up against us. Now, I don't want to turn this into a pity party of, oh, poor women, because We are in this time of global transformation where women are gaining power and traction and things are getting done. Things are changing. It's slow going. um, And obviously, we're seeing some of the ugliest facets that society and especially America have to show us right now. But we are also seeing more, you know, real patriotism in its most essential definition. We are, which is, if you look up the word patriotism, it is defined as a love for and devotion to one's country. And when you go back to the, the ideals that our country really stands for, which are inclus- inclusion for all immigrants, tolerance for all religions, equality for every American, um, I think that we are also seeing more obvious signs of that in action or in response to the blatant racism and misogyny and xenophobia and hatred that we're seeing um, in these really freaky times. When we look at patriotism in that essential definition, a love for and devotion to one's country, I'm seeing it in a lot of small essential acts carried out between people who are trying to create bridges. Um, Yes, I'm seeing it in demonstrations and big public forums. But while we're seeing people be just plain horrible to each other, um, I think that we're also seeing a lot more focus on the small and important acts of kindness that are really just happening all over the darn place. And, you know, in the interest of focusing on the world we want to create, I am making an active choice to look for that, to notice the small and important acts of kindness that are actually happening all over the darn place. And it's awesome. It's really wonderful. It's the little tiny things. Go looking for it today, will you? And if you don't see it, make it happen. It's A smile it's a sincere compliment it's a held door and a nod of respect it's not anything huge but it's an accumulation of tiny acts of courtesy and kindness and respect for the people we love and the people who cross our paths every day it's really easy actually it's it's not hard to show respect and to be kind and to be courteous so I'm I'm making it my intention to focus on that Okay, uh, this week for those of you who may not know me yet, I'm the author of a few pregnancy related books that you can pick up in stores or on my website, jeanfaulkner.com. And yes, I'll spell my name, J-E-A-N-N-E, Faulkner, F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R dot rcom Uh, The first book that I wrote is, I co-wrote it, is The Complete Illustrated Birthing Companion. And I co-wrote that with another author. Uh, a doctor and a midwife, and then a few years later, I wrote the book that started this podcast conversation, and that book was called Common Sense Pregnancy. And in Common Sense Pregnancy, I share a lot of insider information that I learned about navigating a complicated prenatal and birth system after 20 years as a labor and delivery nurse. I'm also the mother of quite a few kids who are now almost grown, all grown ups. And this podcast is my way of sharing what I've learned and what I know. Now, that third book is one I'm offering only on my website, and it's called Mom's Side of the Story or Mom's SOS. And this one is really special because it's part workbook, part journal, part life story, part memoir, and part healthcare planner. And it's all about your experience as a woman going through pregnancy and birth. Yes, your baby is definitely a plot mover here, but the story is really about you. And I really encourage women to write themselves very deliberately into their pregnancy and birth stories and to be actively engaged in their prenatal labor and delivery care and to document, document, document your experiences, your thoughts, your feelings, your questions, the things that happen to you, the tests that are ordered, the things you're concerned about. Believe me, everybody else on your prenatal healthcare team is documenting your experience and story, but they're doing it from their own perspectives. Honey, I need you to write your own story, will ya? So go check it out on the website, Mom's Side of the Story, over on genefaulkner.com. Okay, current events, real quick, and then we'll get to this week's guest. I saw this today over on vice.com, and um, the headline reads, Former Google employee plans to sue for pregnancy discrimination, and it's written by Lorenzo Franceschi Bicchiere, Um, I'm sorry if I mispronounced the name early and I'm going to read you a little bits of it. It says earlier this month, a woman wrote a memo explaining why she was leaving Google after giving birth to her second baby. In the memo, she accused her manager of making inappropriate comments about pregnant women and retaliating against her after the woman reached out to Google's human resources department to get help. When this woman, the pregnant woman, told her manager that she needed to take an early maternity leave on her doctor's advice. The manager um, questioned that. She questioned the value of bed rest. The manager was not a doctor. She just uh, she recounts that during one conversation with the new manager, she restated that she needed to take an early maternity leave and was going on bed rest and this manager told the pregnant woman that well she just listened to an npr segment that debunked the benefits of bed rest and shared that her doctor had ordered her to take bed rest but she ignored it and worked right up to the day before she delivered her son by c section the manager then told her in that same meeting that a management role was no longer guaranteed upon return from maternity leave and that you know, she could go ahead and look at other roles at Google. So, wow, that's harsh, right? The woman is um, suing them and it's making headlines and we're having conversations about it. And I think that that's really, really important. The thing is, you know, if Google, which is a huge corporation, if they can't provide adequate and fair maternity leave policies without hassle and you know, with respect for women's roles and contributions, then who the hell else will? Well, apparently Patagonia will. I saw another article over on Upworthy titled, A Patagonia Employee Breastfed Her Baby in a Meeting. Her Male VP's Response is a Masterclass in Workplace Values. And that one is by uh, Annie Renault. And I'm going to read just a little bit of that too. Uh, the woman in quotes is quoted as saying, while nursing my baby during a morning meeting the other day, after a recent return from maternity leave, our VP Dean Carter turned to me and said, there is no way to measure the return on investment on that, but I know it's huge. It got me thinking with the immense gratitude that I have for onsite child care at Patagonia comes a responsibility to share a call to action, a PSA to tout the extraordinary benefits that come along with not asking employees to make the gut-wrenching decision to either leave their jobs or leave their babies. And then she puts this in caps to have to leave their jobs or leave their babies. How many of us have had to make those choices? Then she continues. That perhaps just one person will brave the subject with their employer, big or small, in the hopes that it gets the wheels turning to think differently about how to truly support working families. It's no wonder that Patagonia has 100% retention of moms. Keeping them close to their babies keeps them engaged, and engaged mothers and fathers get stuff done. Thank you, Patagonia, for leading the way. Wow, Patagonia has taken family Family friendly workplace to a really great level, and people are noticing. And you know that's two different stories and two different models of you know family family policies. Um, And I I really applaud Patagonia for creating something where families can thrive and kids get. Babies get to have what they need, which is close access to a parent, and women can work and progress in their careers and make a living so that, you know, that's what it takes to build a stable society and economy, and it has to be the next step in creating equality. Okay, that's enough about current events. Let's take a real quick break, and then we'll get back to something we're all thinking a lot about, our mental health. Okay, we're back. And this week, we're going to touch on a subject that's a big part of many, many women's lives, many, many parents' lives, many pregnancies. We're going to talk about some of the big mental health challenges women face when they're pregnant and new mothers and how healthcare is changing to meet their needs. And we're going to talk this all through with my friend, Chris Beard, our, um, a midwife who is on the pod a lot. Chris Beard is a certified nurse midwife with more than 20 years experience working in Portland Hospital, where she has delivered literally thousands of babies and taking care of tens of thousands of women. Chris knows what she's talking about when it comes to taking care of women and women's health care. So let's get Chris on the line. Hey, Chris, it's Jeannie. How are you? I'm good, Jeannie. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. We haven't caught up in a long time. I um, most of my listeners already know who you are uh, because they've listened to this podcast and they've heard your wise experience and voice over the many episodes. Um, but then I also introduced you as a midwife who has probably delivered literally thousands of babies and taken care of tens of thousands of women. Right? Did I get Did I get your numbers spot on? <laughs> you did.
1: You know, I've been a full scope midwife for almost twenty four years and I've always worked in places that were exceptionally busy. So I'm guessing that my people always ask me, How many babies have you delivered? And I do keep a birth log, but I have not totaled the eight logs together, but I'm guessing I've probably delivered about four thousand babies in my life.
0: And and women who've walked through your office doors? How many?
1: Oh, tens of thousands probably. Yeah. I think you I think your your numbers were very accurate.
0: Yeah, yeah. Tens of thousands, yeah. So that's why I said that you know what you are talking about when it comes to women taking care of women. You're good at it, Chris. You're good at
1: it. Thank you so much, Jeannie. I love it, so I'm glad to be good at I'm glad to love what I'm good at.
0: <laughs> so Even though you've been on the pod and we've been chatting for a second here, I always like to answer the question or ask the question, who are you and what do you do?
1: I am a nurse midwife. I am employed by Kaiser Permanente in Portland, Oregon, and I um, take care of women in the clinic and deliver babies in the hospital. And you have daughters. And I have two daughters. I have a daughter who's going to be a senior in high school and a daughter who's going to be a freshman.
0: Oh, wow. You're bookending
1: that experience. I am bookending that experience and they are back in the same school for the first time in a few years. And it happens to be the high school that I graduated from.
0: Ah, sweet. Very sweet. Wow. What's that experience like?
1: Well, when I went to the new parent orientation, the very first year, my daughter was a freshman, my older daughter was a freshman. I sat in the auditorium and I thought, oh, my God. It is just exactly the same as it was when I sat here in the 19, I won't tell you the late, in the the last um, century, I sat in those chairs. In the late last century. (laughs) Yes. And um, our high school, the Portland high schools are being remodeled one by one. Yeah. But this, my high school or their high school is not scheduled to be remodeled uh, during our tenure there, which is actually fine. Yeah. Yeah. because when your high school gets remodeled, then you have to actually go to the temporary high school, which is not convenient.
0: Oh no, it's way the heck out there. Yeah, yep. yeah. We w- we went through that too, and my daughter spent her senior year at the temporary high school. We didn't get the benefits of the of the new school at all. We got mm-hmm. we got cheated. Oh well, that's okay. Yeah. I yeah, that's i. Okay. I got everything I could possibly get out of the Portland public school system, putting four kids through them, and I have no complaints. They all did okay. (laughs) We all survived it. Yeah.
1: We do. We do.
0: Yeah. So this summer, what have you been up to?
1: Well, my older daughter is looking at colleges, so we have finished our, we have one more college to look at, um, and she will be sending her applications off pretty soon here. She's interested in uh, staying on the West Coast and going to a place where she can continue to be on a crew team. And she is a coxswain for her team, which has been a really interesting and rewarding experience for her. And she just recently changed her focus from wanting to attend a college where they have a Division One team to thinking that's really not the way she wants to go. And we're looking at uh, schools that have D3 or club rowing got it so she can row
0: but she doesn't have to make it her whole life story correct yeah are you and
1: that is a great decision
0: okay good good that she knows that she wants to she wants yeah. to stay on the water she wants to stay on a team but she doesn't want it to be her you know up at four thirty doing this at five then classes all of that it's a big deal to be on a row team
1: it's yeah. a big deal It practices twice a day yeah 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 twice a day six days a week
0: It's a lot, but it's fun too. What a wonderful, wouldn't it be just awesome if you and I at our, at this stage of our lives could be on the water doing something like that, you know, six days a week. That's a, they're having, they're having wonderful lives, our children. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Imagine, imagine parents listening, you know, somewhere down the line, imagine what your life would be like if you were actually living the life of your teenager. I mean, not everything. For God's sake, hell no! But
1: well, heck, I don't want to go back. But, no, <laughs> um, but I sure like uh, it. Sure is fun to have to have uh, teenagers in some ways right now.
0: Yeah, and it's such a great way to connect with other parents because if you are a team mom, you're going to be hanging out by the lakeside or the riverside or the courtside or whatever team your your child is on with other parents who are at the same stage of life that you are they're looking towards you know the same life events you know and you get to know each other and it's it's one of the best ways in life to make friends
1: I would totally agree and my kids did not do sport as little kids besides swim team in the summers because mm-hmm. I was you know single mom and very busy working and and I like to joke that I'm making up for all the years I didn't do soccer I'm standing around a rainy lake, a sunny lake, a wet lake, a dry lake. <laughs> a lot of weekends in the fall and the spring. So I'm making up for lost time here.
0: Good job, good job. Did you buy one of those pop-up tent things? Do you have one of those?
1: Well, our team has those. Oh, so, um, fancy. Yeah. So I have, <laughs> I have some some super high-end rain boots and a big ass umbrella.
0: All right, you're committed. You're there. You're in it. Yeah. You're in it. Yeah. so are you really relieved that she's picking west coast schools because she's going to stay on our coast or do you wish she had gone somewhere where you could go visit
1: i feel like she has made the right decision for her and i didn't have a strong feeling where she went Mm -hmm. um the thing that was that was the biggest sort of mind shift for me is that I went to a small private liberal arts school in the eighties and
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the the world being what it is and the economic system being what it is, that's not a possibility for her. Mm-hmm. So I had to make this shift from she's gonna do exactly what I did to she's gonna be walking her own path and that includes, you know, one of the schools that she's looking at. The school that I went to was sixteen hundred students and it did grow small at the end of my time there but i was very happy there and i got an exceptionally fine education mm-hmm. and one of the schools that she's looking at has 60,000 students whoa whoa yeah whoa. a study in contrast yeah
0: mm. wow
1: so That's i'm intense. yeah and i i mean she's a west coast kid mm-hmm. and i think that it is, um, it makes sense that she wants to stay on the west coast. All right. So I'm, I'm glad for that she knows that about herself.
0: And I'm glad for you that she's on the west coast because you can easily get there and get, get your eyes on your girl when you want and need to. Yeah, it's
1: yeah, a, it's a yeah. great side effect. For yeah. Sure. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, we have so much to talk about um, this week, because I want to do a real focus on one of the topics that um, women email me about all the time, and it is about mental health during pregnancy and early parenting. And I think that lately, there has been a much more open dialogue among women and among healthcare providers, and just maybe in the world in general about how prevalent um, mental health challenges are at different stages of life. And I'm grateful for that. So I wanted to do a conversation. We've, you know, I've, I've done episodes in the past about, you know, various topics, anxiety, depression, all of that, but it's time that we refresh it. And so, That's what we wanted to talk about this week. What
1: do you think? Well, I'm really grateful, like you, that um, the mental health side of pregnancy and parenting is coming out of the dark because I think for many, many years, people suffered alone and suffered in silence and thought that they were the only one Mm -hmm. and that somehow there was something deeply flawed in their experience because they were experiencing what is actually a pretty common side effect or impact of pregnancy and early parenting on your psyche. Yeah. And, you know, I think recently I read that up to 25% of all women will be diagnosed with a mental health issue during your pregnancy or early parenting years. And that's, you know, that's one in four. That's a yeah. lot of people.
0: Yeah. And that means so that it is. If it isn't one of us, it's definitely somebody that we know directly.
1: Yes. Yeah. And, you know, bec- because it's now coming out of the shadows, people are openly talking about what their experience has been. And we're ag- aggressively and actively treating people for their, for their mental health challenges while they're pregnant. Because what we know about mental health challenges in pregnancy is that, you know, the side effects of being depressed are... You know, sometimes people don't seek and activate their prenatal care in the regular manner. So they're coming to care late, they're missing appointments, and so then they're not optimizing their health during pregnancy. People are using drugs and alcohol when they're depressed and pregnant and not being treated. And so there are consequences beyond just your own stuff when you're depressed in pregnancy and not getting actively treated.
0: And, but if we go ahead and focus on just mom and mom's own stuff, you know, the consequences of not getting actively treated are that you feel physically yucky, you know, because anxiety and depression shows up as physical symptoms. Oftentimes you're not going to sleep well. You're going to feel, you know, anxious and it, it's going to affect the way that you are as a woman in the world, as a person at work, as a person in your family, and then as a parent. And, you know, it was probably not surprising, but I get a lot of emails from women who are experiencing anxiety or depression or, you know, something in something in that range. And it's the very first time in their lives. They're pregnant and they've never experienced it before, or, you know, maybe they've experienced some low level anxiety or situational depression in the past, but they add a pregnancy to it and it's just much more acute and, you know, they want to know what's going on and what can they do about it? So maybe we better break this down. What's going on? (laughs) Why do women get anxious during pregnancy and depressed and mood swings?
1: Well, a lot of it is hormonal and, um, you know, you can't really control your hormones when you're no. pregnant. No, there are a lot of ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it is actually the side effects of the physical manifestations of pregnancy. I mean, you don't feel good. You're nauseous. Mm-hmm. You don't sleep well. Mm-hmm. You um, you might have uh, a smaller appetite, a bigger appetite. You have you have a lack of energy, mm-hmm. and all of those things contribute to feeling depressed. Yeah, for people.
0: Yeah. And your body is changing and your relationship is changing and you don't know what the heck you've gotten yourself into.
1: Right. And all of these things are out of your control. You just feel like you're on a train that is that you're not in charge of.
0: Yeah, which is pretty true. It's pretty true. I mean, you can be in charge of an awful lot of it, but an awful lot of it is really unknown and out of your out of your direct control. And that doesn't you know, that's for many women. It's the first time that's happened right yeah yeah so I imagine that you have probably some baseline advice that you give to all women about what to expect along those lines and what they can do about it to just kind of maximize their their mental health and well-being
1: yes
0: what's your basic recipe
1: so my basic recipe is that um if you have a history of depression in your family, if you've ever had depression in the past, you're more at risk for having depression in pregnancy. And so to be mindful, to be alert for those symptoms, whatever your manifestation of depression is, Mm -hmm. you know, some people become very withdrawn, don't reach out to their friends. Some people eat more, some people sleep more, some people eat less, some people sleep less. So just to be aware of their own personal situation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Staying physically active and getting out of your house every day is definitely helpful. Reaching out to your friends and family and making sure you're maintaining your social connections is very helpful. And then just making sure you're meeting your regular, um, your regular needs, like eating regular meals, trying to sleep regularly. All those things are also helpful, but that's not always enough. Right. And so for, for people in our system We have the opportunity for people to meet with a social worker to talk about the community resources and just kind of evaluate their individual um, situation to see where they could um, get some additional help. And if the social worker feels that the patient would benefit from medications, then that's when I get involved in deciding which medication would be right for them and, and encouraging them to be on medication for their pregnancy. Um, because our visits are so short, we we are not always the first line in helping people make that decision. But we have axillary ser- ancillary services in our setting where we can get additional input.
0: Yeah. So I got an email um, a couple weeks ago from a listener and she had a request. So let me read you just this part of her email and I'm going to leave her name out of this one Um, because this one is really universal. I get this a lot, a lot, a lot. So she said, I was surprised at my preconception appointment that the hospital affiliated midwife said it was totally okay to be on a low dose antidepressant parentheses selexa, all through pregnancy and even breastfeeding. I'd like to hear stories from women who have had healthy babies while doing this. It scares me, but postpartum depression scares me too. I plan to see a therapist regularly during and after pregnancy to have another layer of safety netting. So I want to tackle this. I want to unpack this question with you, but we're going to take a real, real quick break and then we'll um, talk about it as soon as we get back. Hang on one second. Okay, we're back. Um, so about that email. What's your first impression on that?
1: My first impression on that is that that is the right thing to do. When you have a history of depression and you're on medication, um, sometimes the medication that you're on is recommended to be changed before you become pregnant. But we ask people to stay on their antidepressants when they're pregnant, if they were on them before. And Celexa, which is also known as um, which is also Zoloft, is um, a well-known, well-studied medication, and we believe that it's safe to use in pregnancy and for breastfeeding. I love, um, there are-
0: I love that she mentioned that she had a preconception appointment. Such a smart and strategic way to go about it, because apparently if she already had, was being treated for depression that's the appointment where a doctor could tell you before you conceive the baby that, Oh, let's switch you to this other one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. I interrupted you and you were getting really interesting. Oh, that's
1: okay. So, so, you know, there, there are, there are many medications that are, um, well studied and used often in pregnancy. And those are the medications we usually like people to be on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There are some medications that are, um, not as well studied, and if we have an opportunity to switch you off prior to pregnancy, we'll do that. If if um, if it's determined that you need to switch during pregnancy, your practitioner will help you switch to a different medication. And a lot of times, people have a hist- who have a history of depression have tried a variety of medications, and they're on the one currently that works the best for them. Mm-hmm. So you know this is a this is something where your practitioner is going to finesse with you. What are you currently on? Have you tried anything else? And, you know, is this dosing going to be correct for you? Because people's people's need for an adjustment in medication as pregnancy progresses is pretty, it's a pretty frequent thing. We adjust your medications up as as your pregnancy progresses because you need more medication. Mm -hmm. What your current dose is may not work for your whole pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... We use medications all the time in pregnancy for depression.
0: So maybe we should take a step back and answer the question, why women worry about taking antidepressants during pregnancy and breastfeeding? What are the, what are the complications that are the biggest concerns?
1: Well, I think people worry when they take any medications in pregnancy because we kind of have this background um, information that you shouldn't take any medications while you're pregnant mm-hmm. that you should stop smoking you should stop drinking you should stop everything mm-hmm. because you want to have you know you want to have nothing during your pregnancy mm-hmm. and you know that was actually what we told people when i first was trained as a midwife is don't take any medications while you're pregnant mm-hmm. and we we've, we've learned and we've adjusted what we tell people in that we understand that some medications are necessary. And if they're safe, we want people to continue to take them. Mm-hmm. So the things that, you know, that people worry about is, you know, is my baby going to have a birth defect? Is my baby going to have, a, am I going to cause a problem for my baby by taking this medication? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I think that a lot of women are really concerned that there might be a link to having a baby who is on the um, autism spectrum. What do you know about that?
1: Well, we don't know what causes autism Yeah, and probably a variety of things. And people are really afraid. People are really going to afraid that they're going to have a baby with a problem. Yeah. Um, There's no studies linking um, any of the antidepressants to autism. Yeah. I can tell you that right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I wanted to hear. There aren't any studies that are making that connection. But the fear is still there. And, you know, it's it's much like, or maybe it's similar to the fear that, that parents have about vaccinations, that even though Correct. we we know that vaccinations are safe, there the fear is there because we don't have an answer to the autism question. So there's always going to be myth and rumor. But what we do know is that mental health is nothing to joke with. That's the basic. That is the basis of everything. Our mental health is everything.
1: It drives Our the whole. Our mental health is everything. Yeah, and it, it it's the root of all that you do.
0: Yeah, it drives the whole vehicle. Yeah. So, another thing that I think is important to touch on is that a lot of women who are facing anxiety or depression and are on. Medication of some sort, they still think that they're probably going to be, they think it's going to be a, a good thing for their baby if they go off medication and have, you know, a medication free pregnancy. And, you know, it's like a sacrifice they're making or something like that. But what we don't talk about enough are the serious adverse effects that you know, mental illnesses can cause on women and children. And a depressed mother, you know, we touched on that a little bit, isn't going to make it to her appointments. But, you know, she's she's not going to take care of herself the way she needs to to really kill it as a mother, you know, to really thrive as a parent or as a woman raising kids, you know. What do you see? What is right. – let's tell some stories. Well –
1: Um, women who are depressed in pregnancy have a higher risk of having a preterm birth and having a low birth weight baby. Mm -hmm. And both of those things have consequences for children as they grow. You know, if you're an early baby or you're a low birth weight baby, that means it's going to take you a while to thrive. So Mm -hmm. if you're already starting off, you know, a little bit challenged, that's going to be difficult for a depressed, I mean, it's kind of a vicious circle. You have a small baby that's fussy, that needs to eat a lot, that isn't doing well, that's a challenging parenting moment. Especially, it's going to make you more depressed.
0: For a mother who isn't doing well, yeah, yeah, a scrawny, sc- scrawny, cranky, crying scrawny baby, baby, and a mother who's not thriving either—that's not good. That's not good.
1: It's not a good combo. Mm-mm. So, one of the <laughs> one of the articles that I read said that um, babies born to depressed mothers are more likely to be irritable. They're less likely to be attentive and they have fewer facial expressions
0: oh wow that's interesting
1: yeah i thought it was interesting too
0: hmm.
1: and um so those are the things that i know about preterm birth and low birth weight mm-hmm.
0: you, mm-hmm. to cry more yeah yeah I see so what do we know is safe and what do we know is not well, um,
1: what we know, what are commonly used in pregnancy are Zoloft and Prozac. Mm-hmm. Um, Peroxetine has, there's some recent information that it has um, a potential for causing heart defects in the first trimester mm-hmm. if you have exposure in the first trimester. So that is. Something to think about as you're considering the pregnancy is if you're on that medication to switch to a different one. Mm-hmm. Um, and people use Cymbalta and Effexor. Mm-hmm. I think it's really going to be up to you and your practitioner to figure out what's going to what's going to work for you. Mm-hmm. But the only the only medication that I saw a relationship to any um, possible birth defects was Paroxetine.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's good information for women who, um, you know, kind of know that they're going to get pregnant or are hooked into a good healthcare system early on. But what about for women who are, they're already pregnant and they're on medication? Um, what are some of the things that I know that there's there's going to be continuing anxiety for a lot of women throughout their pregnancy that something's going to go wrong, something's going to go wrong, which every mother does that anyways. But along with medication, what other resources can we offer women, you know, in terms of therapy or groups or, you know, practical tips that we can tell women to really support not only their well-being, but also dial down their anxiety in what they don't know.
1: Well, there, you know, for people who have access to mental health services like counseling or therapy or groups within their healthcare system, I would say access that. The you know some healthcare systems offer centering prenatal care, which is group prenatal care, which has been um, a wonderful tool and a wonderful built-in support group for a lot of women in the places where it's offered. So if you, have the, if you were someone who had a lot of anxiety and um, you were in a healthcare system that offers centering prenatal care, that is a great place to start. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you still have one-on-one time with your practitioner, but most of the time is spent in the group with other moms who are the same gestational age as you. And what you learn is your fear is not a unique fear. And yeah. there are other people out there experiencing what you're experiencing and I think that you know one of the one of the non uh, biological or physical things that we experience as new parents in our culture is isolation yeah and and having having finding your people or your tribe can be really helpful in in maintaining a positive, healthy outlook for pregnancy and parenting and however you can find that whether you can find that in group prenatal care find that in a community support group or find that among your already present group of friends and family you just need to seek out support
0: yeah or a yoga prenatal yoga class or you know the parenting classes that are offered by your healthcare system there are a lot of different ways yeah yeah and if it isn't already out there, and I'm sure it is, somebody's going to develop the app where you can, you know, swipe left and swipe right for girlfriends and families <laughs> along the same line. What yeah. a great idea. I know, idea. I know. So if somebody out there picks up this idea, give me a little credit and a check too, okay? Um, Let's see, what else do I want to ask you? Oh, you know, one thing that's that's kind of interesting to me is that a lot of women and are surprised to find out that um, their midwife or their family practice doctor or their OBGYN, whoever it is that provides their, you know, women's health care or prenatal health care, they can be your first line of defense. They're, they're your primary resource for getting mental health care. They can prescribe, you know, antidepressants. You don't have to go to a psychiatrist first. Um, and they can help you out figure out your benefits and hook you up with all the resources that we just talked about, including therapists. And... That is a lifesaver, a literal lifesaver for an awful lot of women, because it's real hard to find psychiatrists and counselors on your own. It's real hard. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So do you let women know that, you know, when they're new patients, new clients that, hey, I'm here for you?
1: I do. I do. And I tell them the signs and symptoms that I'd be worried about and I want them to reach out to me if they're having an issue. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we have a closed system, so we do have access to a lot of support within our system. So people aren't out there looking through the yellow pages or whatever you do now, I guess, go on Google (laughs) to see, to see who offers, (laughs) yeah, to see who offers the service in your community. And, you know, we're lucky in the Portland area that there are several Mental health nurse practitioners who specialize in women's health mm-hmm. and pregnancy and you know postpartum care, and so for people who don't have my insurance, the HML Kaiser, um, they there are several people in the Portland area who can help them, and I'm sure that there are other big cities that have that. And your practitioner, your midwife or your physician, is going to is going to have the the phone numbers and connections to those people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, what is another really great resource for women who don't have somebody in their community is um, there are, you know, a growing number of resources online where you can get good therapy at affordable prices with licensed clinical therapists. It's just you you do it over Skype or, you know, something like that, as opposed to driving into town and sitting in an office. And for a lot of people, that too can be a real lifesaver. Yeah.
1: Sure. Yeah. Sure.
0: Well, Chris, we're going to wrap it up for this week, but I know you're coming back next week to talk more about um, healthcare conditions and mental health, but I never let you off the hook before I ask my rapid fire questions. So how are you going to fill in the blank this time? Nobody ever told me that.
1: I love this question. I frequently answer it the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody ever told me that watching your children prepare to leave brings a lot of joy. Oh, I love and I don't that. mean that. Wow. I don't mean that in the way that I'm. You know, I'm not like, oh, I'm so happy they're leaving. But you know, as a parent, your job is to provide roots and wings. And as my daughter prepares to leave, I look at her and I'm like, yeah, I did some things right. She's thinking about all the right stuff. Mm-hmm. And she's gathering her resources and figuring out her path. And it really is an awesome thing to watch. This little fledgling person that you shepherded through their through their years is now preparing to go off on a different chapter. And I'm sure you I mean, your kids have left the nest and I'm yeah. sure you
0: feel that way too. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh yeah. It's amazing. I, that sense of pride, you know, it, there's also that sense of heartbreak. Like it's getting, you know, canned from the best job you ever did and ever had. The one that you've been the most invested in and loved the most and your most beautiful creation, you have to let it go. That's the deal. Mm-hmm. That's the yep. deal. That's the deal. But to watch them go and watch and see what they can do is amazing. Yeah. And I'm proud of them. And I'm also, I'll own it. I'm proud of myself. I look at my kids and I go, damn, they're just great. (laughs) They're great.
1: I I did a good job. Yeah. I feel the same way. Yeah. 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 And, you know, it's really... You know, it's exciting to think about this last year unfolding for her, Mm -hmm. you know, her final year of high school and all the decisions that are going to get made. And then, you know, off to a new chapter.
0: Yeah. Well, again, I'm really glad she's on the same coast as you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Chris, I'm going to let you go. And same time, same place next week. Okay. Thanks for having me, Jeannie. Okay. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Mama said there'll be days like this There'll be days like this Mama said Mama said Mama said Mama said Okay, folks, that is it for this week. Um, oh, our guest today was Chris Beard, Certified Nurse Midwife. Come on over to my website, genefaulkner.com and learn all about me and pick up a copy of Mom's Side of the Story, will ya? You can email me your questions and comments at gene Jean at genefaulkner.com and you can find us over on Instagram and Facebook uh, at Common Sense Pregnancy and I'm on Twitter at Jean Faulkner. Thank you for listening. Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. Thanks to all of our great sponsors. Your support helps us keep the lights on over here at Common Sense. Bye-bye, everybody. We'll talk again next week.
1: Hey, guys. We're Sarah and Matthew Bivens, hosts of the Doing It at Home podcast, a show dedicated to empowering stories and resources around home birth. Our mission is to normalize home birth and encourage mamas and families to be educated, supported, and empowered by their birth choices, whatever they are.
0: You can find the podcast in Apple, Google, Stitcher, The Pod Network, and on our website, diahpodcast.com.